True Crime Podcast, Don't Blame the Mom. Hello, everybody. My name is Kate. My name is Hannah. Hi, guys. And uh, now this week, wow, we have a very, very dark and disturbing case this week. Oh, my gosh. I've been wanting to talk to you about this one for ages because it's one that really, really got under my skin. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's always, you know, just dumbfounded me. So this week's case is a um, Dean Arnold Carl, a.k.a. The Candyman. Now, um, he's an American serial killer, um, and with the help of two accomplices, he killed at least 28 different boys and young men, and um, that was between 1970 and 1973 in Texas and in Pasadena when he was aged between 30 and 33. Now, you know Texas is actually the number two state in America for the most amount of serial killers ever. No, I did not know Yes. Guess what is number one state? California? Yes. Oh my God. I actually did not think you were going to get that. Well done. I listened to Good a one. lot of true crime stuff. <laughs> actually, yeah, to be fair, we covered like, quite a few in California. Duh. But um, yeah, so yeah, it's crazy. It's like, funny what you find out when you do a bit of research, isn't it? Oh, the now, amount of deep dives for oh, this one. I know. Honestly, I feel like I've had nightmares. Um, so Cole is actually suspected of committing probably many, many more because actually at the time of these killings, there was 42 young guys missing in that area of Houston Heights, Texas. So of course he's definitely done more, but the amount they can prove was 28. And when his shocking crimes came to light, it was considered one of the most heinous crimes of serial killing in US history. And it was also known as the Houston mass murders. Yeah, and wasn't he, wasn't he at the the record for the most confirmed killers Bo- yes, at the time. Yes, and body, bodies found at that time. Now, yeah. he was only four years later beaten by everybody's least favourite clown, Ugh. Poco, Gacy. a.k.a. Bloody Gacy. <laughs> Gacy, oh, blimmin' but Gacy. He's always trying to outdo everyone, isn't he, that one? That, damn oh, right. Honestly, but we're so over Another him. day. Yep, right. So let's talk a little bit about Dean and where it all started. Let's see if we can try and figure a little bit out. Yeah, Not so... Not we're pro, so we probably can't, but <laughs> let's try it anyway. <laughs> so Dean Carl was born on Christmas Eve. Oh, trying to ruin Christmas for us. I know. Um, all nice and close to the birth of our our baby Jesus. I know. He Terrible. was no saint, our, our Dean. We know that for sure. Yeah. So he was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and he is the oldest son of Mary Emma Robinson and Arnold Edwin Coral. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so there was two. He was the oldest of two brothers and stuff. Mm. And um, he did have yeah. a younger brother called Stanley. That's right, yeah. He was maybe four years younger, I think. Yeah. So um, the mum and dad were together. Um, the dad didn't really like children very much, apparently, and he was a really strict father, which is kind of a bit like Gacy as well. His dad was really strict and horrible to yeah. him. But um, the father was, yeah, he didn't really like the kids, stuff like that. The mum was absolutely overbearing, thought the sun shone out of Dean's bottom he was apparently quite a quiet child he didn't seem to socialize a lot with any other children he was quite an introverted kid now um this mom though this mary i mean talk about molly coddling her boy could do no wrong so that's it her name's mary i hope we mentioned that mary and arnold okay good and (laughs) i mean i know that the podcast is called don't blame the mom (laughs) but listen i mean there is an exception to every rule to be honest i'm gonna 
blame some of these moms <laughs> along the line because you're gonna you're just gonna have to it's unavoidable mm -hmm. some people you know they are just born rotten but i have to say i don't think this mum helped at all i think dean was definitely had something in him where he was rotten anyway but do i think the mom helped pampering him and being overbearing which is exactly what she was doing um you know he was i don't really think she was very um not was he strict but like everything he did was perfect there was no kind of telling him off for anything like that there was no what's the word when you tell someone off there was no not rules but you know there's no consequences to anything that he did and reduction. she basically just put him on a very very high pedestal and kind of more so apparently than the younger son um, from the sources that I've read. Now, um, the mum and dad stop getting along and they actually actually end up divorcing. And that's around the time that um, Arnold's drafted into the US Army. Yep. Which no, is crazy. They originally oh, divorced no? in 1946. <laughs> okay, okay. He was quite young, I think, at the time. Yeah, but isn't he then put in the army not yet okay but he does go to the I army i just really wanted to go to the army okay guys him, but i mean he didn't go to the army at eight <laughs> <laughs> no arnold arnold not dean oh yes, dad, yeah sorry, sorry. Dad yeah also drafted to yes. <laughs> maybe we shouldn't have so many bucks for this next time <laughs> Joke. i'm only on my first so yeah no so um dean's dad arnold he was drafted he into was. the army that and this is around right. the time that they actually end up getting divorced him and mary because they're just not getting along and um you know but she thinks well i want my sons to have a relationship with my with their father still which is so really good actually I, of course that's i think that's the right thing to do mm. you know you certainly and i think back in those days as well there was, there was very much mother father type thing you know they were very traditional mm -hmm. you know they sort of like married young from school and and tried to keep those sort of stability back in those days so um yeah so she moves along with him to where he um, is based at the u.s army and then they end up trying to get back together they, they actually remarry yeah so they divorce and then remarry re again <laughs> so that's two marriages and one divorce that's gonna cost a pretty penny back in I those know. days i'm sure so i, I hope mean it's cost a pretty penny these days and these days as well so i hope he was making some dollar in the u.s army because well, seriously you know, it's interesting you say that because that is one thing that kept going through my mind this must have been quite a wealthy family. Yeah. And we'll get into it further in different yeah, things, but I, I think, I think so. they did have money. Yeah, for I don't sure. Get the impression that they were particularly Yeah, exactly. Poor. So anyway, she follows with the boys and um, they're still having a good relationship with their father, or at least a relationship with their father. And then they end up re remarrying and then divorcing three years later. So that still didn't work, you know, surprise, surprise. Anyway, Mary moves them all to pa ta Texas Pasadena, not with the father. And she ends up marrying a clock salesman called um, Jake West. And then they uh, have a daughter together called Joyce. Can then I just stop you there? Yes. Because... Th <laughs> I was really baffled by this clock salesman job. Why? I don't know. Like, what have you got against um, clocks? Okay, well, <laughs> I suppose my thinking of it was, I always think of like old school clocks as kind of being like your grandfather clock. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking, is this man Logan around grandfather clocks on his shoulders? I mean, well, I know I people mean, were hard back then. I mean, probably like <laughs> photos or like a catalogue, you know. Catalogues. I doubt he had his iPhone. He's whacking it out like, hey, guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he was way years. before his time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he just knew the way. <laughs> so no, I, I, I'd say it's probably like a catalogue or something, you know, going up and probably showing people. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a cock salesman myself. And, well, I'm just look. guessing. But anyway, um, he did end up, um, and instead of like, uh, maybe he didn't like lugging around these big <laughs> clocks because he ends up opening a, ca a candy <laughs> company called Pecan Prince. And so Pecan Dean Prince. and his brother Stanley end up working in this um, little, you know, I, well, basically it's not a factory at this point because they're doing it from their garage. From the garage yeah. yeah. And, it's um, entrepreneur 
entrepreneurs. They are. So they've got these machines in their garage. Dean and his brother are helping their stepfather um, launch this, you know, this candy company. And so they're using a lot of pecans and like in caramel, that kind of thing. Mm. And it actually becomes very successful really, really quickly. And it starts to become really lucrative. So um, maybe this is where the money comes from then. Well, maybe, but um, when it you know basically took off, they start to to think right, let's buy a proper shop. So they go to Houston, Texas, mm -hmm. and they buy a bigger space, and they allow Dean to sort of be in charge of that because he is the older brother and stuff. Now at this point, Dean is in high school, so he's um, a school kid, you know, stuff like that. But he still tends to want to hang out with boys that are younger than him already at this age, mm -hmm. which is um, I suppose not as frowned upon when you're a teenager, still a little strange though. I mean, when I was in like, I don't know, year seven or like, you know, seventh grade or whatever, I wasn't hanging out with, you know, five or six year olds, I'll be honest. No, I mean. Or 10 year olds even. But you can even relate. Except my sisters, because I have no choice. Well, I was going <laughs> to say, you can even relate it back to being, uh, having a lot of sisters. Yeah. Like the, the thing that always happens in classic in the families is the older, the older one has to look after the next one down. Right. And of course, it's the last thing you want to do. Yeah, Is have the next one down tagging yeah, along totally. with you and your friends or so, whatever. So, exactly. So Dean and his brother, they are running this, um, you know, little factory, whatever. And it's called the Pecan Prince. Now he gets given an apartment above this um, store that they've bought. So he's kind of living the life of yeah. Riley Dean and at this VP, point. And he's VP, baby, vice president. Oh, exactly. He is VP of this um, of this store. And at that age, I mean, now all the neighborhood kids are thinking, this guy is awesome. Because he starts giving out free candy. Mm -hmm. So he Any becomes known candy. as the candy man yeah. for that very reason. So this is one of his monikers, yes. isn't it? The candy man. They do say, don't take candy from strangers. And guys, seriously, this don't. This you know? could be where that bloody saying started. Absolutely. I mean, we all <laughs> like a bit of chocolate and sweets. Don't get me wrong, okay? But just don't do it, ever. So um, he starts, you know, using the, the store and the candy that he has to kind of lure young boys to his apartment. He starts hanging out with them. He even gets a pool table installed in his flat. So he's got all the newest radios. He's got a pool table. He's got free candy. What more could children want? I mean, the dream, right? I know. You're and hanging out with this in this kind of space. That's playing, right. Playing pool and... Yeah, candy I mean, it's candy like a kid's disposal. dream. They think he's this cool older guy. Now, um, at this time, I don't think he'd started doing any of his, you know, killings yet. Yes, no. But I can see how right. this pattern starts. No, but I can see how, you know, he's already starting to show strange behaviors where hanging out with children and kind of luring them with different things, kind of bribing them over is a little bit strange. Well, now I did his read stepdad, somewhere that uh, yeah. Mary in 1963, Mary fired a young boy who actually came to her yeah. to tell her that Dean had made sexual advances, advances towards him. Of course. And this is again, the so mum. There, there was a few little things happening and mum, mm. Shot that right down. Shot it down. You out of here. Absolutely. No my interest. son would never do that. Yeah, my baby Not, boy. Oh my God, my son is trying to sexually molest a child. No, no, it is. My child would never do that. Get out and you've lost your job basically. Yeah. So, no. I mean, it's really, I mean, it kind of like shows the pattern of behavior that she kind of has with her child, which is enabling, um, smothering and very much on a pedestal because Dean can do no wrong in her eyes. And actually that is about to um, bring my next point up quite nicely is because the stepdad is really not cool with all of these children hanging out 
at Dean's house. And he starts saying, look, this is not right. Like, this is very strange behavior. And he says, I think that he's um, homosexual, which in those days, again, was very frowned upon mm. and they did not talk about it. So of course his mom, Mary, is like, absolutely not. She she's is disgusted, disgusted by, yeah, yeah, she's absolutely disgusted by these, um, by these, you know, remarks. Exactly. And um, she's like, nope, Dean is not like that. You know, she he's kicks an angel. Ass to the curb. She does, she breaks up with him. Uh, surprise, surprise. So they do end up getting divorced and Could she ends up buying her own. Imagine divorcing your husband because he has an opinion that... Oh, maybe your son is homosexual. No, but could you imagine someone coming <laughs> to you and saying your son has, you know, yep. been trying on with me and he's a male and he's a young like, boy. That poor see little guy. the patrons. Yeah, and that poor <laughs> little kid is well getting fired. I, you know, when you're working, when you're really young. I worked when I was way too young. And like, you know, it's pretty good. You do it for pocket money at a candy store. And then this horrible lady fires him. I mean, to be honest, you don't want to work with Dean Coral anyway, but do you know <laughs> what I mean? She's yeah. such a horrible lady. Anyway, so um, she ends up buying her own little candy store. And around this time, you know, Cole is at the age where he, he is drafted into the he army. He is drafted into the army. He is there not eight. He, he is not, not eight. eight years old. <laughs> I wish he was and just like, you know, eight years old, just take him away. Off you go. Yeah, exactly. Get your backpack on, <laughs> your little bag on a stick. Exactly. But unfortunately, Coral is not um, there for very long. He clearly didn't take to army life very well. And um, after one year, he was honorably discharged because he said he needed to help his mum in her candy store. So, you know, it sounds a little lazy to me, but who oh. am I to judge? Um, anyway, on his return, he starts saying openly to a few people locally that he has um, he is gay and that he's had homosexual experiences whilst he was in the army. And he said that to a, the few, the very few friends that he did have. He even had a girlfriend back at home at this point, which... I couldn't find much on her. I did you really yeah. she had two children. There's, quite, there's not really a lot on Dean in general because he was a very secretive person okay. and he didn't have a lot of friends. He didn't have a wide network of people. The only person who was willing to talk about him was his mother, of course, <laughs> who is not going to give an, an accurate description yeah. of how he really was and and also down the line one of his accomplices that we well, will get yeah. to but um he's he started to obviously tell people people starting to clock that he you know is and in was disguise. he with betty at this stage when he was saying all of so this so when he came well I, he definitely was but by the time he did come back from the army betty his girlfriend that he'd had previously was with somebody else so well, she definitely dodged she a bullet there used to let her children call him daddy oh really yeah. i did not know she that she had two young children what i know mm. listen Let's all be a little bit more careful yes. about how quickly we allow our children Some, to call our yeah. new boyfriend's daddy. Absolutely, <laughs> exactly. Now, on his return, this is where Dean meets his very first accomplice. Now, this guy is called David Brooks. Um, he is 12 years old, and he starts to meet Dean when Dean is luring him in with candy. And he's basically giving all the candies that look a bit broken or a bit misshapen, but it's still yeah. good to eat. He basically gives those to all the children. And one of those children is David Brooks, who is a little bit, you know, out of sorts, really. He wasn't, we didn't really fit in anywhere. And I think Coral really preyed upon that yeah. and started to act like he's his older brother. I'll give you candy. He starts giving him money as well. Mm -hmm. And he starts trying to groom him. He's slowly grooming this young 12-year-old boy until he starts paying him to be able to perform sexual acts on David. So he, at the age of 14, from the age of 12 to 14, he is fully grooming him and, and paying him off. And didn't Brooks say, you know, that I think 
books. His father wasn't very nice to him. No. Um, used to call him like sissy boy and this kind of stuff. Yeah, very and, belittling. You know, really cruel to him. Mm. And I think he, one of the things that he said about him, Brooks doesn't say actually much at all. He's mm. not a big talker about anything. He really didn't give much at all, but we'll get into that d- deeper in another time. But he said that, you know, he was really good to him and he was the first adult that didn't kind of tease him. Yeah. Because, I don't know, I think like he had acne or something. Like, yeah. ridiculous. But anyway, that, you know, that people he, were he being horrible love to school. him. Exactly. Yeah. They were picking on him. He was kind of outsourced. He, he didn't fit any, anywhere. And this is where Dean saw that vulnerability. Yes. And that kind of fragility. And that's what predators tend do. to do. They can sense when there's like a vulnerable, there's a weakness <coughs> there. There's yeah. someone who's more vulnerable. <coughs> and it's kind of something that they tend to prey on and use to their advantage. advantage. And course. that's exactly and what know Dean... know how to do this. Yeah. Absolutely. That's exactly what Dean has decided to do with, with David Brooks. So they are together all the time. Again, this is someone who's, you know, in his 20s now, hanging out with a, t- you know, 12 to 14-year-old boy. Very, very strange. Um, oh, wait, no, sorry. He's not. He's much older than his 20s. He's his late 20s at this point, isn't he? Yeah, he must be. Yeah. Sorry, Dean math is, is not my yeah, strong as point. as you say, Dean is like about 14. Because he's, he's, he's a lot older. 15. He's double the age, basically. Yeah. So he's double the age so of his accomplices. Yep, exactly. So anyway, um, Brooks does agree to um, allowing Dean to perform sex acts on him for money. money. So it becomes yeah. a transactional thing as well. And um, all the meanwhile, Dean is still luring over all these other neighborhood boys. And this is a constant. This is an everyday thing. He's letting them drink alcohol at his and place, place. smoke weed. He's got um, the best radio speakers, so he's got the loudest music. And these guys think that he is really, he really is cool. He is the bee's And I think, I think he at is this stage, knees. Brooks has actually left school. Yeah, exactly. And he treats Carl's home as his second, his go-to, as his second home. Yeah. You know that quite often he'd stay there. Yeah. And, you know, spend a lot of time there. Mm. Um, And I think I'm leading into the next point. Yeah. Totally. So basically, um, Brooks does end up dropping out of school uh, because he dislikes it so much and he much prefers being with Cole, Mm -hmm. you know, driving around with Cole in his car. And, um, you know, he never fit in at school, but at least every single day he can go to Dean Cole's house and he can smoke weed and he can drink alcohol. What other, you know, what what child who's, you know, doesn't really fit in is going to want to go to school and get bullied? So Dean is absolutely taking advantage of that. Now, this is where it starts to take a really awful turn because they are spending so much time together David Brooks ends up walking into Coral's apartment just letting himself in one day and he finds Dean in the apartment with two young boys who are tied up um, gagged um, stripped naked now Brooks you know freaks out and he's like oh my god oh my god what's going on whatever and stuff Dean chases after him and he's like look look don't tell anyone um you know he closes the door on these guys that he's got in his room he's like do not tell anyone um I will buy you an amazing Corvette it's amazing car I will give you money um just you know just let me do what I'm gonna do and so David Brooks agrees yeah David Brooks agrees for two hundred dollars now no this is and he and he Dean builds the promise he buys them a green Corvette and the car, yes. in 1971. Brand spanking new, but sparkling car. For $200, he then has a conversation with him and says, if you, you know, uh, he's obviously, they've kind of got past this little mm-hmm. thing. He said, if you start helping me, luring these young men, yep. bringing young men, I will pay you $200 per boy that you bring. Exactly. So, deep dive. Exactly. So. I went to look at how much $200, $200 is. So $200 today 
would be 100 1,536 US dollars. How much? 1,536 US dollars. Oh, wow. Oh, so that, yeah, dollars. so that's a lot. That's a lot. 1,286 pounds. Yeah, crazy. Right, well, at Today's this money, point, that's I a lot. Yeah, that, that, that is a lot. When you think $200, I was like, okay, yeah. that's good money. But so right. someone of his age, you know, 14 years old, of course money. it is, but also a brand new green Corvette. These cars yeah, were super crazy. expensive and Dean did have some money at this point, but the Clearly. candy factory, <laughs> he had lots of money. the candy factory had closed down though at this point, but he was working. Dean was always working. He did have a job. He worked at power plants. Mm -hmm. He was also a thief. He liked to rob houses mm. and yeah, he was a thief as well. And actually he lets his accomplices um, thief play and bug on the steal cars and they take parts out of cars and things oh, like that. So he was, them. he had a job, but he also had a little seedy bit yeah, on the side where he would side hustle. a little side hustle. <laughs> you know, you know how he is. Um, but basically, um, Brooks agrees to this, which, you know, is crazy. But at the same time, he's, his whole kind of world at this point is Dean Coral. Yeah. He thinks he's his everything. He's his father. He's his brother. And he's, you he's know, built up a bond with him, which is, turns out to be, you know, a very, very bad idea for David yeah, Brooks. But um, he might also be a bit afraid of him. I mean, what I think there's always going to be that element as well. It is more displeasing him. He didn't want to displease him at all. Yeah, you're right. So he gets the 200, oh, he gets the 200 dollars and he gets the car. But um, this is when he starts going, right, I can now procure victims to lure back to Dean's house and I'll get money each time. Which, by the way, he doesn't. Dean only pays for the first one and he never pays them again. What? Yeah. I know. So no, I don't yeah, know about that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I God. know. I know. What is so not only is he a evil, vicious serial killer, but he's also well, tight. I mean, that rate was tight. That rate he was pretty high. Tight. One thousand two hundred eighty-six. Well, when you find out what David Brooks had was doing, you know, to get this money, then you'll you know find out. So the first victim that David was able to lure back was eighteen-year-old Jeffrey Conan. Now he is actually a high school um, guy. Sorry, th so this is the first guy that, sorry, um, Coral end up killing himself. He was a hitchhiker who was dropped off at the corner of the uptown area in Houston and Cole picked him up there. Mm -hmm. Now, um, he's this is when he's living in the apartment and Conan's tied up, he is raped, he is tortured and he's killed by Coral. And then he is wrapped in plastic tarp um, sheeting and he's buried at a place called High Island Beach, which was a beach about 10 miles away. So one of the police officers that I saw in a documentary I was watching, mm. he did say, you know, although this is the first murder that we are aware of, mm. he said the level of like planning, like the way he had them wrapped. So premeditated, yeah. Well, he was kind of like, in actual fact, it's maybe the first one they know about, but it was so well done, like the lime. The ma and back then, it wasn't like it is now, where you yeah. just hop on Google, how do I bury a body? Yes, you know? yes. <laughs> Honestly, doing the research for this, so if people looked at my Google history, oh God. So, I mean, we have, they will have the police at the door in no time. <laughs> um, but no, and he, his point was, you know, if it's feel it felt more like this wasn't a first because because they knew of the, the precautions it, that it, had the, been taken. the amount of premeditation and the prep and the almost the the professionalism yeah. of yes, it yes. it was someone who was very good at what he was doing mm. and he was very well practiced in what he was doing which but it's was the killing first we know of. yeah which was killing and torturing young boys but um so what follows after that first victim is some horrific horrific murders just after this david brooks goes to carl's house and he's got um well no i've already said that oh 
dear. So the next um, one, actually, this is what you're, what you're this going This is what I'm going to say. Brooks luring his He's doing it himself. That's yeah. it. So December 13th, 1970. Okay. So this is when it all really starts to kick off. Brooks lures two 14-year-olds from a little religious rally. So they're at church. They're at a religious rally. Apparently, they were going to go to the toilet and they were never seen alive again. So these boys are lured over to Dean's probably with the um, promise of, you know, maybe some alcohol or some weed or whatever. We don't know exactly how they were lured, these two, but that is the usual MO that Brooks would use and the usual MO that Dean and um, his following accomplice that will be coming up also uses. So these boys do end up going back to um, their house and one of them's called James Glass. The other is called um, Danny Yates. That's his friend. Now, Glass had actually been to Carl's house before. So he was well, um, a, a kind of acquaintance. Pool, yeah. Doing what all the other boys Probably getting candy back doing. in the day, playing yeah. pool, thinking this is cool older guy, which has got his free house all the time. So he had met Dean previously and obviously survived that encounter. So they end up um, back at this house where they are tied up to Dean's torture board. Now, I'm going to get to all of that in a little while because we're going to go into that properly because it needs to be spoken about. But... He ties them up to this torture board where they are gagged, they are handcuffed, they are stripped completely naked, and they are tortured in all different ways. And I know that Dean actually sometimes kept some of his victims alive for up to four or five days. Four or five days of just absolute torture. Now, they end up being, of course, sexually assaulted and beaten and killed. And again, they use the same MO, which is covering them in lime, wrapping them up in tarp, trussing them up with strings, and then driving them to this beach and then just dumping them um, under the sand. And um, actually, these two boys, when their bodies were later found a couple of years later, they had alligator clips attached to them, which uh, goes to show the, the sadism and the absolute painful torture that he enjoyed putting them through exactly and um i have got a whole yeah i think we should do a whole an actual thing about what exactly his mo was and and what what he was we will go into that because it's going to come up so much yeah um now um basically you know like Dean's modus operandi was that he would always carry out murders. He'd always lure them in his car or in Brooks's car because also Brooks's car was a real um, swanky. He was swanky, so yeah. a lot of boys like I want to be able to go in this car. Exactly. <laughs> he, they they, they, they want to be able to hang with the cool older guys, and um, and this is uh, like I mean, why they were able to get so many Carl's guys there. Carl's car was pretty cool as well. It was a Plymouth yeah. GTX muscle car. Yeah, and, see, he's driving around in these really cool cars. I mean, really cool. You and know? so all the local boys in Houston Heights, Texas. Just think, wow, you know, it's, it's like an, it's like a teenager's dream, really, isn't it? Cars, I don't know how cool weed, they actually thought alcohol. Dean was. They, I think they enjoyed the they, situation. They enjoyed that the they situation, all the, all the things all they were mates. getting from it, exactly. Now, I'm going to go into actually Carl's modus, modus operandi and um, yep. his methods of torture because this is why Dean Coral always really stood out to me out of all the serial killers that I've always, you know, read mm-hmm. about since I was, you know, nine years old. All the ones I listened, you know, I know, I know I'm weird. Oh my God. 80s and <laughs> 90s parenting. We are, I know, right? Well, 70s parenting. Look at Mary. I know. <laughs> how did anybody survive the 70s? I honestly God don't know how there's knows. any more generations that are alive right now. Because that, that decade surely nearly ended the I whole population of the, the whole world. human race. <laughs> so, um, right, from that, we are about to talk about something that is pretty dark so guys trigger warning um you know this is this is pretty horrific the stuff that he did so if you don't want to hear about the methods of torture that he put them through 
maybe skip a couple of minutes. Now, um, his modus operandi um, was, you know, is torture. He absolutely loved torture. So what he would do is once they were lured back, he would um, give them drugs, give them alcohol, and either wait till they passed out or basically trick them into some handcuffs. And then they were stripped and they were tied up to this torture board. Now, this torture board... Can we talk, before we get into the torture board, can mm. we talk about how they, the trick of the handcuffs? So mm. what he would do is... He would put the handcuffs on himself mm-hmm. and he would be like, okay, let's say they've they had a few drinks and whatever drugs they were doing. Yep. A lot of it seems to be like paint sniffing. Yeah, they call it huffing. Yeah. I guess it was a thing back then. Apparently it was a massive thing because I've heard so much about it. Wow. Um, but they, so he had handcuffed himself mm. behind his back and he'd be like, see who can get out of the handcuffs. You know, yeah. this is my party trick type thing. Of course, he'd have the feckin' key in his back pocket. Of course. And he'd get himself out, whatever. Yeah. Dangle them and then somebody would be like, oh, I'll give it a go. I mean, mm. totally. If I had I don't, it's not even a cool trick. It's not pretty cool even a good trick. That's a pretty cool oh, trick. Oh, is it? Oh, okay, if maybe. If it's real but and you don't have this thing in your then pocket. actually saying that, you know what, like when you're young and it's like someone does something that, you know, you've it's never seen before. You're like, oh, wow. Houdini, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it I guess so. Magician? But actually, this brings me back again to the parallels between him and Gacy. Well, because Gacy said he, he got that idea from him. Did he? Yeah. Oh my God, he is such a copycat. Oh my God, I just hate him even more now. <laughs> but yeah, that, I did not know that because I always the knew the handcuff trick. Yeah, I know, he's just such a copycat. Yeah, that's the only bad thing about him. Um, but yeah, he was just, yeah, because I, I, when, I, I, when I heard about the handcuff trick, I was like, that literally sounds just like Gacy. Mm. Um, but obviously, that wasn't going to happen for a couple more years. So anyway, I want to talk about this torture board. Yeah. Um, this torture board is something that. Dean Coral had actually made himself. It was made of plywood. Now there is, let me just do the thing. It's eight foot by three foot and there's holes in the four corners. Now through these holes, there was nylon ropes Mm -hmm. and then handcuffs attached to those as well. So basically the perfect way and the perfect method to tie up and truss up um, a victim and keep them completely disabled, completely left um, at, you know, at the most in the most vulnerable positions, mm-hmm. shall we say? Yeah. And um, then you know, basically kept there for however long he decided to keep them. So he applied them with, like I said, alcohol. They'd have drugs, and then um, he basically, basically, oh, this is a horrible thing. But he, they found when they eventually found Dean's house, they found um, you know, seventeen-inch dildos, double-ended oh dildos. Um, yeah, there was glass tubes, mm. which he would trigger warning. Guys, he would um, use to put up the urethra of a guy, of a, a, a you male know, boy, a male genitalia, and then smash the glass. Oh my! I God. mean, the the most horrific ways that you could torture and hurt a human Real being. He just sadist. thought of them. Yeah, a complete sadist. He was a demon. This guy was an absolute demon. And sometimes he would yeah keep them alive for days, and he'd go out clubbing with his accomplice while he had boys tied up at home. I mean, awful. he was awful. Now another thing that um, he had as well was was like uh, boxes, which had breathing holes cut in. Yeah. And um, literally, I think there was only like, I, I do I do have it written down. But they were it was it, was, it would have been a very very cramped tiny little box that boys were stuffed into alive with just tiny amounts of breathing holes, so they would still be alive but in a, a lot of discomfort. So he had all these kind of awful like apparatus or whatever that would allow him to carry out these sadistic, you know, evil ideas that he had. Um, 
But yeah, so anyway, now this brings us on to... Well, we need to go just to finish off that yeah. he used to kill them by kind of mean oh, yeah. to to yeah <laughs> that part <laughs> yeah <sorry. laughs> that part there um that he his modus operandi for killing them mm. was usually either by manual strangulation or with a cord or something yeah or a gunshot yeah 22 caliber head. pistol yeah yeah to the head um but can i also just say mm. he also really used to play mind games with this some of these young boys i don't know if it was all of them but i've heard a few mm. where you know, he would make them write letters home. All you of know, them. saying this yes. kind of stuff that I'm, you know, this where I am, like I'm working for this place and da 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 da. Yeah. I'm making this amount of money. I'll be home That's soon. That's right. You know, and for me, this is kind of giving those poor boys a bit of hope. He even allowed people to make phone calls. Yeah. You know, he he was he was sadistic. He was a demon. Full court. Literally, was he was awful. Physically, everything, was, yeah. everything you can think of, and you know. Um, so basically what, what he would do is he would make them, yeah, either sign their name or write up on a postcard, which he would then, once they were dead, later send to the parents saying, hi, mom, I've decided to get a job as a trucker mm. um, in this place or this place, or I've moved to Mexico, or um, I've gone swimming in another state. All these different things that he thought if he could send these to the parents, that the parents would then not look for their missing children. Yeah. So um, this, again, was part of his MO. It was, you know, um, let's have a cover story for why these boys are going missing. Mm -hmm. Not the police even checked or cared anyway by the sounds oh, of it. Yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. So, um, so that's what he would do. So he had it all thought out. He had it all planned before. He had all the weapons of torture ready. And he also had ways to cover his tracks after um, should, he, should the parents worry about where their child was. So this comes, brings us on to victims, you know, um, Donald Wardrop and Jerry Wardrop drop now these were two brothers coral actually killed two sets of brothers this i like i feel awful for every victim oh. and all the families of every victim mm. but this kills me you know two um two brothers from like from one family yeah you know, that family had to lose not just one child but another, another child. child i know this i know guy, it's horrific it's it's it's, it, it doesn't like I mean I cannot even begin to imagine mm. you know or empathize or sympathize because I mean I obviously I, I sympathize but I like I think it's just got to be a parent's worst nightmare. Of course, of so course. Donald Waldrop and Jerry Waldrop were um, you know 15 years old and 13 years old and they were lured over there by David Brooks and um, of course they they were promised drugs, alcohol, all this stuff, you know, sometimes people had to bunk off school and go over to Dean's. So these guys were like, yeah, this is going to be great. It's going to be like a party kind of thing. Now the brothers, when they got there, were tied up. They were put on the torture board. They were raped. They were tortured. They were strangled and ultimately killed and wrapped in plastic and covered in lime. And, um, and yes, they were taken again to, to, the, the, boat the, to the boat shed. Yes, now, that's right. And Donald and Jerry had actually been dropped off by their dad to a friend's house. They'd gone over to talk about, I think, a bowling league that they were a part of. Yeah. And the friend wasn't there. So they had started walking back home mm, when they obviously, he obviously pulled out. I mean, and obviously. Said, I'll give you a lift or yeah. oh, that's mine or and whatever. And that's the thing. That, you know, people probably, you know, always say, you know, travel in pairs and go home together. You'll be safer Never and stuff like that. Yeah. He, was, he wasn't a stranger. He wasn't a this stranger. No, you know, everyone knew him. And actually, I think this was totally the era of stranger danger. 
you know, where people started coming out with this whole Stranger Danger thing. Maybe Stranger Danger I, I don't, I don't know if, like, this is very early 70s. This is 1970 to yeah, 1973 is when his killing spree was at its peak. You so know, you're right. I don't, actually, the phrase serial killer wasn't was even coined oh then. Oh, my God. Literally, Jinx. you have taken the words right out of my mouth. The phrase we spent too much time together. Yeah, far too much time together. The phrase serial killer. You. <laughs> don't lie. <laughs> The phrase serial killer actually hadn't even been coined yet. That was exactly what I was going to say, but now you've yeah. said it, I'm still, I still want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> just get it in there, just get it in I there, I have girl. to say it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, it's true. He wasn't a stranger to, to anyone in the town. And actually, people found him quite helpful. If your car broke down, Dean would help you, yeah. that kind of thing. They but these he boys... He was polite. He was... Exactly. Well-mannered. Like, he yeah. was, you know, people liked him. He's not the they person... Did not like him. Yeah. They didn't like him, but they did not like him. He's not the person where if it's like, oh, I'm going to a party, I've invited to a party to Dean's house you're not going to be like oh that that guy you're going to go basically if you're a kid and that's unfortunately what happened now he sometimes um put some of the bodies in his boat shed because um sometimes it was too hard to go and bury them at this beach because it's quite you know open spaced and there was always a chance of being caught when they did do that so um, at this point he's also starting to hire a boat shed we will get into this as well and um, he is starting to put bodies in this boat shed that he'd hired as well. Now, um, between March and May 1971, Cole abducted and killed three more victims. Um, they all live nearby in Houston Heights. So this, this little town of Houston Heights, people, boys are going missing like nothing else. Yeah. They are disappearing into oblivion. And every single time the parents call the police and say my son's missing you, can you guess what the can you guess what the uh, police say oh let me guess it's the 70s yeah runaways of course they say oh how old are they oh it's a teenage boy oh he's run away mm -hmm. he'll turn up one day he'll he'll come back when he's ready that seems to be the police's answer one. to everything of oh. any child who went missing it's so dismissive but i did hear somewhere that it was actually in a podcast i heard them say that at the time there was 20, I think it was 22,000 police officers working in the Houston area. Yeah. Now, the Houston area had 1.5 million. Mm. And apparently that number is like half the kind of minimum number. I'm um, quoting almost directly. Mm. Half the minimum number apparently oh, yeah. taken to police an area that large. Yeah, it's crazy. And then 47 of those were homicide. Mm -hmm. And homicide covered everything that was a violent... Um, a violent crime. Yeah. So that means not necessarily killing somebody. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, domestic abuse. Although, Jesus, if you rang about domestic abuse, they had no interest in that no. whatsoever. Mm -mm. But, you know, it was, you know, the fight down the local pub, you know, this kind of thing mm -hmm. all fell under this homicide. Exactly. So it was very stretched over a very wide very umbrella stretched. of crimes that could have been committed. And to be honest, it sounds like they were completely inept because they had many opportunities to um, realize that there's a pattern of young boys going yeah. missing in a very quick succession of time. A very quick, in a very quick succession, boys are dropping like flies. They're just disappearing off the face of the earth. And but not one detective or one, sorry, policeman thought to say, hey, hang on, there's a pattern emerging here. Can we just talk about actually how large the size of the Heights was? The Heights I is- I actually don't know, so yes, can we please? <laughs> okay, just hold off for a minute. The area of the Heights is Three miles long and two miles wide. Okay, that's that's it. Twenty-five wow. of the victims were locally from that area. 
I mean, 25 boys going missing within like, that space. And sorry, no, no, hang on. 28 in general were killed. Yeah. 42 were space. missing. All connected that is to that space. insane. That's I mean, five mile I didn't know that. Area. But that, I mean, that's not even, I think where I live is bigger than that. Like I my mean, town. like I said, I can't do math, but I know that two miles isn't that far. It's not it that big. So you walk it in like 30 minutes. I mean, that's insane so it just goes to show again how honestly inept the police department was mm. and i think you find that with a lot of cases look at the west memphis three the police oh the police department they didn't have a clue what they were doing the i think the john bonnet ramsey case as well they bungled mm. that the whole police the crime scene was trampled within seconds i mean and again and even back then these police were just saying look these kids have run away don't worry about it they'll turn up now the next victim is 15-year-old Randall Harvey, and he's another school friend of David Brooks. So he's such a traitor. He's such a Judas. He's going and taking boys that know him and trust him and luring them to this yeah. deadly trap. What a good way to explain him. He is such a Judas. Oh, my God. That is horrific. It's it is just what kind of guy. I don't care how you know troubled you are as a teen or how much you're bullied or whatever. You do not do that. You do no. not sit back and watch young boys get tortured and killed in front of you and then go go to sleep like nothing's happened. It's just crazy. But how do you justify that in your mind? Because, you know, okay, if you don't know the people, you can disassociate. Mm. But you know these people. I know. But this is your mate. That's the thing. It's crazy. And this is another thing as well, because serial killers don't normally kill people that they know. Do you know what I mean? It's usually a stranger because it's easier to link them back. But th but they were killing all the boys around them and with impunity. And nobody was doing a single damn thing about it. And this is why he got such a high body count in just three years alone. Because this killing, you know, these 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 serial murders go on for three years from 1970 you, to 1973. You know, though, right? I was no. Mm. <laughs> I oh, also, go on, go on. I also, <laughs> I'm like going to be like, hopefully, I've got the maths right on this, but. They started, okay, 1970. It was December yeah. 1970. And he was, so and the last killing was in July 73. Mm. Now, if I do that maths in my head. and Okay, I can't. Sit down, two and a half years, right? Yeah, so. Because if it was Oh, December is it two and a half? I thought it was three years. No, but, yeah. but everyone does say three years. Yeah, yeah. Everywhere I've looked, it's like three years, three years, three years. But then I was like, but hang on. S yeah. December 1970 mm -hmm. to July, if it was yeah. December I mean, 73, that's three crazy. years. crazy. July is literally the sixth month of the yeah. year. That so is two and a half So years. his his cooling off period was not very long. I mean, he would go like weeks and then get another victim. And sometimes, you know, I would say he's doing two boys. He's getting two guys at the same time sometimes. Yeah. So, I mean, t certainly towards the end as well, it kind he kind of ramped it up. He was sort of, he couldn't wait as long. It was almost like he was just so addicted what to it it's again? like jeffrey dahmer as well though he didn't have a very long cooling off he, he, the more he did it actually the more obviously they're like um i've i'm, I'm not sure you know, right now oh, but totally know. why, why but it's one of those things you know when you're like we'll, we need we'll the try word and to get to it yeah but let's talk about the next victim which was randall harvey he was a friend of brooks and um of course he's driven onto the board and then sorry he's driven onto the board he's driven to the house of uh, dean coral and actually he's tricked into signing a party list when he's there so dean's a like i'm list. having a party you're the first guy here why don't you sign your name and a message and see so he actually writes a letter oh, no. yeah so I he signs what this. he thinks is a party list and he said it's my first time at the party thanks dean Oh no. With his signature, with his, li with his little. So yes, they've made him um, write this note. And that is something they would always normally do as well, is that 
Dean was so clever and so premeditated, he would make sure that these boys had written some form of note or something with their handwriting so he can either send it on to the parents or copy their writing and then write postcards saying they'd gone away to work and stuff like that. So he was really, really, he, everything was Sadistic. very well, very significant, but very well thought out, yeah. very planned. He was, um, he obviously spent a lot of time trying to cover his tracks and stuff like that. So it was, you know, such an awful thing for that little boy to have, you know, thinking he's going to his party and then mm-hmm. that happens. It's just it's awful. It's cruel. It's actually so cruel. It's so cruel. And so he is um, then finally um, killed by a gunshot to the head. Now, the next two victims, um, 13-year-old David Hilligeist and 16-year-old Gregory Malloy Wink- Malley, sorry, Winkle, they were abducted um, in May 29th, 1971. Um, now, they were out together, the two little boys, um, walking together, and they somehow were lured. O- again, we don't know exactly how, but they were lured to Dean's house, um, which is, you know, really awful. And they were tortured, they were murdered, and buried in this boat shed that Dean had been renting. And he's obviously renting it to start finding a place to um, bury all his victims. Yeah. Um, away from prying eyes, you know, because I think the beach was very exposed. So um, the police, of course, just put these down as runaways. And um, David Hilligai's mum is like, no, my son is not like that. And same with Mally's mum. She said, they're like, that's not what our boys would do. They're good boys. And this is a very close, close-knit families, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. they were like, that's not what our, um, our sons wouldn't run away. They knew that there was something was up. And uh, they started... David Hilligeist's mum was by putting up missing person posters and everyone in the neighbourhood was helping her, including this guy called Alma Wayne Henley Jr. Now, this um, horrible piece of work is going to go on to actually be another accomplice to Dean and David's evil crimes. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. hold that name in your mind because we are going to be talking about him. That's right, <laughs> that's right, guys. So... Um, Obviously, uh, you know, they can't find David Hilligeist. These missing posters are everywhere. And Wayne Henley has noticed this, and he, he's a, been a neighbor and a longtime friend of the Hilligeist. He knows them. He lives very close to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Mally, uh, I have to say, Mally's mum did receive a phone call when they went missing, saying, oh, hi, mum, I'm, I'm just swimming somewhere really far away. I'm just swimming with my friends, and um, I'll be back soon. And then the phone cuts off, and then she never hears from him again. So obviously, this was a phone call that Dean had made him make under duress. Yep. Um, so again, he was covering his tracks. But they were like, that does not sound right. That's completely bizarre and very strange behavior for our children. So um, the parents will continue to um, look for them and um, unfortunately to no avail at this point. Now, um, I think next week we'll have to um, start the second half of this because we're going to go deeply into Elmer Wayne Henley Jr. and his the part he had to play uh, yeah. um, in these crimes and ultimately bringing them to an end. But we will have to go into detail about that next week, guys. Absolutely. Mm. And I think um, that's something, you know, it's it's a very interesting story how it continues. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for listening today. Yeah. Uh, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also find us on Insta. We are on Twitter and we will be on TikTok. Yep, all the um, socials. Yep, all the <laughs> socials. And wherever else you listen to your podcast. Exactly. And all the sources that we have used um, for today's episode will be um, just written below. So uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye.